We're excited to share this podcast in partnership with the American Association of Nurse Anesthetists as part of the new video and audio streaming platform, the CRNA Knowledge Network. For currently active members of the ANA, you can earn free Class A continuing education credits with this podcast through January 31, 2020. Yes, you heard it right. It is free. Visit aanackn.com and log in with your AANA user ID and password to access the audio sessions. Sharon and I here at Beyond the Mask, we're happy to be part of this initiative and we hope you enjoy the show. Beyond the Mask is also made possible by the team at CRNA Financial Planning. Schedule a free consultation today at crnafinancialplanning.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Beyond the Mask, innovation and opportunities for CRNAs with Jeremy Stanley and Sharon Pierce. We know you spend your day caring for your patient's best interests. On our show, we want to care for you. Join us as we leave the operating room and learn the latest in the CRNA industry. Beyond the Mask starts in 10, 9, 8, 7, Welcome to Beyond the Mask. I'm Jeremy Stanley, and I've been working with CRNAs for over 23 years, and I'm married to one. My co-host is Sharon Pierce. Sharon's a practicing CRNA for over 20 years, past president of the AANA, the NCANA, and she's held many other leadership roles in the association. Our goal with every episode is to educate and enlighten CRNAs. We recently went on a podcast recording blitz at the ANA meeting in Chicago. We conducted lots of interviews with some of the industry's most interesting people. All right, Sharon, here we are again. In the Windy City, Chicago, Chicago. Yeah, ANA Annual Congress, and we have a hometown person. Yes, we had to come all the way to Chicago to interview her. I know, (laughs) Dr. Courtney Brown. Welcome, Courtney. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Oh, listen, this morning I text her, and I still had her maiden name in my telephone. She said, really, Sharon? I've been married for 11 years. (laughs) You still call me Courtney Bick. (laughs) I think you use that in some places, don't you? I actually still have it on my Facebook. That's what I thought. Yeah. Well, that's so that old boyfriends can find you. Uh, Maybe. (laughs) Oh, wait a minute. We're not going down there. Don't tell my husband. Oh, no. Don't listen to the podcast, husband. (laughs) Well, for those of you who don't know Courtney, she's the Associate Director of Wake Forest School of Medicine Nurse anesthesia program and Sharon you get a little woot woot I mean, oh, alma mater you know I mean, yeah, absolutely I'm a graduate she has to look at my picture on the wall every day <laughs> and you've been there since 2008 now yes wow I didn't realize it'd been that long so, uh, watch it now. I, I didn't. I mean, you know. He's aging me. Uh, <laughs> listen, we've got to teach that boy something. Well, and, and Courtney, you've, you've made a lot of headlines for uh, directing efforts to improve diversity and inclusion at, the, at your program. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And your work has actually generated over $70,000 in scholarships this year. Yes. That's amazing. That's awesome. Yes. Well, our topic for today is promoting diversity and inclusion, cultivating student activism. Mm-hmm. And uh, Courtney, why is this an important topic? 
Well, the problem in our profession is that we're very, very Caucasian. We have 89% Caucasian in our profession. And, you know, when we look at our future demographics, U.S. Census data, in 2060, we'll be, a, as a whole society, 68% white, 14% African American, and 28% Hispanic Latino. And if you look at it, there's been a lot of white papers from AHRQ, which is an agency in Mm -hmm. healthcare research and quality, and also uh, Institute of Medicine and the American Association of Colleges of Nursing who say healthcare workforce needs to be more diversified in order to really, truly care for our future U.S. population. We need to look like the patients that we're taking care of. They've already extolled the benefits. It reduces health disparities. It also improves patient care. And so we're really very far behind other health professions. We're behind medicine. We're behind dentistry. We're behind general nursing in our numbers. Why do you think that is, Courtney? You know, I don't think that we got here on purpose. I think that it's almost been an accidental phenomena. Mm. You know, if you think about if 89% of us are practicing our Caucasian, who do we promote our profession to? Usually you interact right. with your friends, your That's colleagues, true. your children. It's the best friends. kept secret. It is the best kept I mean, secret, right? Yeah. We work in a very isolated environment. And I don't think anybody purposefully excluded anyone. Right. But another thing that happened is in 2008, we went to, really it was around 2008, 2010, we went to our chief chief inclusion diversity officer at the hospital said, you know, we noticed that we don't really have a lot of diverse applicants. Almost all of our applicants have been Caucasian. And she looked at us and said, well, are you purposefully excluding anybody? I said, no, I don't. That's against law. But right. I don't think anybody would exclude anyone. She says, well, is there a problem with diversity in nursing? Well, yeah, at that time, at that time, there was a problem with diversity in nursing. You know, even currently right now, 81% of practicing RNs in 2017 are Caucasian. Wow. But, you know, we went back and said, well, no, we're not excluding. And yes, there is a problem with diversity in nursing. So she said, well, if you're not excluding and there's a problem further back in the pipeline, y'all are fine. You're doing what you should be doing. <laughs> so what is the difference between diversity and Inclusion. I sure, mean, sure. they're two different words, so I see they, they are. mean two different things. And they mean different things to different people. Okay. And that's really, kind of, I'm glad you brought that up. So diversity is just differences in backgrounds, and it actually occurs naturally if you're including everyone, if you look like you're including everyone. Meaning as long as you're not, and again, this is where you have to make sure that, for example, we had a nurse, a nurse anesthesia student who just graduated class of 2018. And she came into our program in her interviews. She looked at all of our graduating pictures on the wall, which were basically a sea of Caucasian faces. Well, I'm sure we're not the only nurse anesthesia program that has our graduates highlighted for potential applicants to see. But when she saw that, she wondered if she should even apply Mm -hmm. or if she should even continue with the interview. And that's not very an inclusive practice, even though we would never have assumed that showing our graduate pictures of people that we're proud of, that we would potentially be making someone feel not welcome. So inclusion is just that sense of belonging. Inclusion is a sense of welcoming, making sure that people who are different don't feel so different. And when you're doing things that make people feel like they can belong, then diversity does happen naturally. It follows. Just has my curiosity peaked. Mm-hmm. Did she say something in her interview or did she wait until I'm sure it, she graduated? So she was admitted. Yeah. So then did she tell you later on? She told us later on. Okay. And again, it's having that perspective from that student who was 
different from our normal student, being able to be open to the fact that you're right, I can see where if I was not of these backgrounds that you see displayed before you where I may not feel like I'm welcome. Mm -hmm. And so really inclusion is going above and beyond to simply tell other people from different backgrounds, hey, we would welcome you. We know we're not where we need to be. We know we need to do better in terms of recruitment and pipeline programming, but we want you to feel welcome. We will support you because that's what they're looking at is whether or not our profession will support them once they do end up kind of crossing that line into a student. They don't want to be where they're going to be somewhere where they don't feel supported. Right. So is nurse anesthesia on the radar to anybody else that we are not diverse? Well, I tell you, actually, last year, for part of my presentation, I looked up and there's actually reports in the Atlantic of the, of the most 33 highest, most whitest professions. So we may not be on the radar yet, but what I'm going to tell you is I'm afraid that we may be under scrutiny if we don't do some major proactive changes to somehow diversify our profession. Not only that, but I'll tell you how, how we ended up with the diversity scholarship money. So the School of Medicine put together a student inclusion diversity for the whole of the School of Medicine. We are part of a School of Medicine. I think we're one of four programs that is. Medical societies and medicine has put together accrediting standards that dictate they must have diversity-related accreditation standards. They must have pipeline programs. They must have recruitment activities. And they must have retention activities to support underrepresented minority students. So because we're part of that and we came under the School of Medicine in 2015, we're invited to all these committees. Well, I'm sitting down with all these individuals representing other programs and I'm looking at all their data and they're asking me for mine. (laughs) Well, we don't have in nursing or nurse anesthesia any accreditation standards. So if you're not required to collect this information, we haven't been collecting it. We've never collected it. So all I had was the member profile survey data to show. And it is not very appealing to this group of people. They're saying, you need to do something. These are not best practices in schools of health professions. They've all been collecting this data since they had a centralized application service for 20 years. They can go back 20 years and tell you how many students of color applied, interviewed, were accepted, matriculated, and graduated. And they can compare themselves to national benchmarks over the years and trend. We have nothing like that in nursing. We have nothing like that in nurse anesthesia. Wow. So, Courtney, why do some people believe that, you know, promoting diversity and inclusion is, is really synonymous with affirmative action or maintenance of some sort of quota system? I mean, oh. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. And, you know, I understand where that bias comes from. You know, we went through a period as a society for a time where a lot of those practices were put in place where you're right, they used quota type systems. But when you create a quota system, then you're also disenfranchising people of that non-quota system status, which is also unfair and inequitable. So I would never advocate for a quota type system. I would rather advocate that we simply look at what is the barriers to any particular person from accessing our profession and see if there's ways that we can alleviate or remove those barriers and make it a fair process for everyone. Yeah, no. And the other thing about that type of system is now there are ways that you can consider what they call 
kind of thinking about potentially using race as not so much an emission profile, but as just one of the other set of things that you simply take stock of. And a lot of those are called holistic reviews. So, you know, when, when people like medicine and nursing, nursing now promotes what they call the EAM model. The EAM model is experiences, attributes, and metrics. So a lot of our nursing anesthesia programs, because we want the top rated students, we look at the things that we know about, GPA mm-hmm. and GRE scores. Mm-hmm. But when the standardized testing, they've actually put out a lot of literature that says it actually disadvantages people of color, of any background, or even first, think about it, even, even somebody coming here as an immigrant from another country who has English as a second language, SAT and ACT creates a barrier But when they looked at the outcomes, meaning those students that didn't submit scores to some schools or submitted scores were admitted, it didn't change their actual ability to complete those programs. So does that mean we get to throw those out and nobody will ever have to take MREs? Yeah, I'm already, no, I'm getting excited right now. (laughs) I didn't say that. I might get back in the anesthesia school. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm not saying not to look at standardized exams. I'm saying put it with the bigger picture. Right, don't put so much emphasis on that. Yes, it needs to be part of looking at a person saying you're more more than a number. Right. You know, and that's what holistic reviews of applications are, is saying, okay, this student is a person of color. I know that their scores may not be reflective of their ability because they were actually tested in a Caucasian population. I know that I need to look at the full picture. And so you really are just looking at a person as a person and not just a number. I was just thinking about, you know, the fact that nursing and nurse anesthesia really has never put any emphasis on knowing those numbers. And, you know, in my mind, it goes back to an old saying, you know, what gets measured gets done. Mm-hmm. And Very it almost good. makes me think of, you know, we weren't measuring this. Mm-hmm. I, like you said, I, people didn't do this on purpose. We don't believe. We just weren't looking at it. It wasn't right. on the radar. I mean, right. that's kind of, but now it's on the radar. Now that it's on the radar, are things changing? Because I know that Lena has the diversity group and so forth now i mean are things moving in the right direction or do you have numbers it depends on on how you measure progress okay you know have we made progress yes we now have a diversity in any diversity inclusion committee it was never committee before and now it is they're still kind of getting their kind of i guess you could say training wheels off because they're still kind of figuring out Yeah. yeah they need to figure out and they are you know what's the best good use of their time effort and money so that's progress I've put forth the idea of the centralized application service. I think it would be one way. I know that it's helped the PA programs diversify. Mm. For example, they just completed a 10-year study where they look back 10 years. The other interesting thing is, so they said it was actually a huge money generator for their profession of educators. Now, I know I'm not trying to say that we're trying to fleece the youngsters. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) But But what it does is, for example, each anesthesia program, they have their own application process. Some are on the nursing cast. I only saw five schools last time I checked on the nursing cast. Now, the liaison internationals who came to ANA in 2008 at the time, of course, it was nursing that came with liaison. They wanted our data. They wanted our applicants in their system. Well, I'll tell you why. Because they're charging each application up front. And 
there's only so many spots available. That doesn't usually change in the number of spots available. But what they found is over time, they've had an increase in the total number of applications. It's a huge service to the people who are wanting. They may not even know about certain schools. So when they go on there, they can click on the schools that they want to really apply to. But the schools were concerned that they would lose the ability to monitor and trend their own data right which is understandable but each school on the CAS system still charges a supplemental application fee with additional things that they particularly want like they may have particular questions or essays that they want answered well guess what that CAS in the physician assistant society is what funds their entire programming for their annual meeting and they actually go to those meetings half the time for free because the number of applicants that are put into the system that want to go into the PA profession because it's like us it has a very kind of small number of programs and the students click multiple programs right. oh. so it's a huge money generator but it's also good for the student applicant <clears throat> they found out about other programs that are closer that they may not even be aware of right. and it, it increases their odds of getting into a program but from the educator side I asked them I said does this help you find your best most qualified applicants Absolutely, across the board, both diverse and Caucasian, they have access then to say, yes, please apply to our program with a supplemental. So they reach out to their more diverse and highly qualified applicants and invite them. So it's a completely different way of looking at how you do applications. I don't know. I just thought I put that out last year. I'm still hoping somebody kind of catches on to that idea mm -hmm. and at least investigates and does it like an analysis on that. Sounds like a good DMP project to me. <laughs> you got a student for me? No, I do not, but I'm sure you will find one, and I've already chosen my project, so it won't be me. <laughs> I'm just struggling with this one. So we talked about pipeline, recruitment, retention. Why don't you give us a little synopsis about each of those pieces? Sure. All right. Well, I won't start with pipeline. Pipeline is a little further back. Recruitment is what we kind of almost all programs currently do. Mm -hmm. It's looking at people who are pretty much at our doorstep. So general nurses and ICU. And also we have H3A programs at my program. So where we're bringing people in, exposing them to what nurse anesthesia is and asking them, is this for you? H3. Oh, now back up. Sure, sure, sure. You called it what? It's called H3A. And the three H's are head, hands, and heart. Okay. Head, hands, and heart. Meaning, do you have the right mindset? We do some hands-on activities, and then we ask them to take stock of whether they're in the right place in their life, and that's where the heart comes in. Interesting. I had never heard about that. <laughs> yeah. And so with that, because we've been infusing a lot of diversity-related pictures on our website of our students and their outreach efforts, that actually has increased the diversity of our recruitment efforts. Okay. The other thing with recruitment is the generation of those scholarship dollars. Now, again, being in a school of medicine, <laughs> I have to say we're blessed that, that, our, that our brothers are very rich in arms. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you know, when we went with our data, and as I showed them in the Atlantic data, how we actually are worse off than some of those professions highlighted in a very important post there. They said, what do you think would help? I said, well, you know, one barrier to coming to this profession is people have to leave their jobs. They look at the amount, that price tag, mm -hmm. and people who are either single income workers or potentially from a disadvantaged background, sometimes they can't visualize the other side. They don't realize the return on investment. Mm -hmm. And so the other piece is we weren't attracting some of our best high quality URM applicants. And that's underrepresented minority. We weren't recruiting them. We were offering, but they weren't coming to us. So we're using that recruitment dollars with a diversity rubric to offer it to the most highest qualified of our diverse applicants as a way to try to consider us as their program. And it has worked. Mm -hmm. So do you have numbers for your program? I do. <laughs> uh, just 
since you asked. Since you just asked. happened to have them in my pocket here. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> right. So when I first presented on this, as I said with Terica, prior to 2016, we were averaging about between 96 to 100% Caucasian. Now, since we started doing these outreach and diversity efforts, really the class of 2018 who came in in 2016 kicked us off. We accidentally ended up with a very diverse class on accident Mm -hmm. (laughs) through no particular, we did never, like I said, we never discriminated, but they just simply happened to be a very diverse applicant pool. So we monopolized on that. We created all these outreach videos. And so with all the outreach that we've done, our current incoming class of 2021 is 12% Asian Pacific Islander, 4% African American, 4% Hispanic Latino, and 24% overall of total URM. So we're 76% Caucasian. And also we've increased the male genders in our classroom. Again, if you really want to look at another statistic, people want to know, well, are you discriminating? Are you mostly female? Because practicing nurses are predominantly female and white well this last class is 44 percent males so we feel like we're doing our part you know to make sure that with our practices that our applicant pool has become more diverse now when you mentioned pipeline you know that's something that came from the school of medicine now again we, we have a nursing as one particular step to get to our program right so we had no idea that medicine even being a graduate program had so many, again, required by their accrediting bias, but had so many pipeline activities. They are interacting with kids in middle school and high Mm -hmm. school. For example, we have College Launch, which takes 60 to 90 disadvantaged high school students between Winston-Salem and Charlotte. And they put them through 12 total weekends, meaning once per month, where they come and they give them a whole tour of every different type of potential job. They do SAT, ACT prep for those that want to submit scores to particular schools. They help them consider how they're going to write their college essays. And again, with first generation um, college students, they have an average, they're four times more likely to drop out in that first year. And a lot of these kids don't have parents at home that have a college degree. So they have very much lacked the mentorship of what it takes to get into college and what it takes to stay in college. And with his program, we work with this gentleman named Donovan Livingston, who on a YouTube video, he was actually a commencement speaker at Harvard their school of education. He has 816,000 views because he's so passionate about kind of promoting all kids to consider themselves at that next level to really, he said his book that he wrote is called Lift Off. But he put together this program and they come one, and one of those 12 weekends to hear about pre-health programs. So we've been blessed with being able to work with this very passionate, young African-American individual who gives these kids really the playbook on how to get there and hope. And that's part, it's so rewarding. And our students are put together the program for the CRNA session. And what's really cool is how we have the highest rated profession of their sessions in that whole program on that weekend. In fact, we had 43 pick ours as the most favorite versus, for example, medicine had 15 and PA session had 10. So we really made it exciting for the kids. They get to work with the airway monitors. They get to work with the simulators mm-hmm. and they have such a great time. But here's the most impactful part of the whole program. 98% of his kids after their first year are still in college. 
So that's what it takes. You really have, and that's what pipeline programming is all about. So these are medical, and a lot of medical students are involved. This is medicine reaching back into high school and middle school because those are the formative and impressionable right. years and making these kids believe that they can achieve a STEM-related or health-related career. And that's what pipeline programming is all about, and it's very rewarding. I was kind of interested to hear that you were looking at the male to female ratio because we're 48% male within right. our profession, which almost mirrors the general population. I mean, we're 51% female in the general population. So I can't believe that we're trying to target them thinking they're <laughs> underrepresented whenever they they're 10% well, of to give you perspective, nurses. yeah. From and our but, program, yeah. we were only at 20% on average between oh, wow. prior to these efforts. Really? Yeah. How how far back did you go? Because I'm no, I know my class. We were oh. 60% male. Yeah. That's interesting. I think they ebb and flow over time in terms of, like we had you had smaller class sizes. Yes. So from a proportion it's going to be a higher proportion. I think once we went to 24 students, mm-hmm. we did have a predominantly more female uh, number of That's true. I've taught, I've taught in that class, yeah. and it is a sea of women out there <laughs> that wake <laughs> for us, yeah. <laughs> to be sure. I, you know, I'd be interested, what were the 33 professions? You've mentioned that a couple of times. Do you remember? A uh, couple of them I do, and they're kind of funny. Electricians, clergy, <laughs> <laughs> lawyers, <laughs> CEOs. Huh. Yeah. And uh, law actually went through a period of time where they were, when you say under the microscope, they were under the microscope for being too Caucasian. So people were looking at them and saying, you have to do something. This is because they and, were 92% Caucasian. And too male. Yeah. Yes. What was it? Harvard yeah. just yeah. started letting women into law right? school. It's been within my lifetime. Right. And so, again, you're just basically trying to say, where do we stand? And this is an opportunity. If you look, almost every major industry, Google, Amazon, has diversity inclusion as a priority because those varying perspectives, I can't even describe to you how much impactful it is in any kind of, for example, DMP program to have all those varying backgrounds and perspectives. It adds such a richness to the classroom. The other thing is bias. You know, people come in. We've been bombarded with bias and things in the media that make us think a certain thing about a person before we even talk or get to know them. And by including people in the classroom that are different from you, you actually challenge your own biases and how you see that group of people. So it it actually is very, from a societal perspective, also helpful, especially considering recent events where that kind of thinking of group think where you're different from me, therefore I don't trust you, I don't believe you. It actually reduces a lot of that polarization that we see happening in society right now. So why don't you give other nurse anesthesia faculty some ideas of what they can do to help in their particular programs? Well, Here's the thing. So there's 120 program. There's very few faculty members. If you really think about it, out of us, out of a whole society, uh-huh. if you, you think, know what, you are exactly right. Yeah, because we have what 118 programs yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about maybe two per program. Yeah. For so talk programs. about 300 people. 
who are the gatekeepers of the profession, who have very, if you look at the burnout statistics, faculty are probably at, up there. Right. They're always higher. Yeah. So we're doing as much as we can do. What I would challenge is, what's the other 53,000 CRNAs doing <clears throat> to help us? Mm-hmm. Today I gave a talk upstairs and I was just trying to inspire people that, yes, we have the Wallina Golds. Yes, we have the John Bings. But they are still two people out of a sea of 53,000 people. And the other thing I challenge is, you know, a lot of us, like I said earlier, we go to our kids' school, we go to the career fairs, you go to your schools. Well, when you go to your schools that are in affluent neighborhoods, why not also target a school that's not in an affluent neighborhood? Speak to wider audiences. Speak to younger audiences and speak to wider audiences. I'm not saying target any particular group. But if we're not getting out there and talking and stop being the best kept secret in healthcare, we're not going to change those numbers, or at least right. they're not going to change very quickly. And we're not going to meet the demands of our future population of the United States. Well, Courtney, what can your average CRNA out sure. there do? How would you say, let's get started, let's go about doing this? What can they do? Okay. So start with your local communities, right? You have churches, right? Start there. Get your, what I call your presentation chops, right? Learn so, what. So you would say go out there and explain what yes. a nurse anesthetist does. Yep. And, okay. All right. Gotcha. Start there. Then we, today we talked about a group called HOSA, which is health. Uh, it's I was a, a member in high see? school. Health Occupation Students of America. Yes. Oh. I was president. There you go. <laughs> this group is international. They are so full of young students. There's a chapter in every city. There's even frequently more than one chapter in some bigger cities. There's a chapter and they have state meetings. This year we sent our students. Now, did it have to be a student? No, it could have been any member. Could have gotten on a panel or called them up. They were so willing to get us in front of all of their members and they need to hear about our profession. That's an easy thing to do because you can partner with an existing group that already has kids interested in going into healthcare. So that's one thing for sure. Other things they can do, everybody's an alum of a program. Well, if this speaks to you as a value, why not go to your program and, again, your faculty of 300 and simply broaden that, broaden what they can do. Ask them, how can I help you? How can I help you in these efforts? You know, the other thing, there's a lot of programs that don't have a lot of African-American or Hispanic nurses or uh, on the nurse anesthetists on the interview panels and mission committees. Well, quite frankly, now I'm not saying you have to have one person of any color in any committee, but it does help give different perspective when a person of color or different background comes in where they can say, oh, no, she, you don't understand her. She wasn't meaning that when she said that. Because, again, we're not in the same culture. And until people realize that, then they don't, can't get past their own biases to see that they may not have given that person an equal opportunity. You know, I this is a personal story. Whenever I worked at Baptist Hospital many, many moons ago, and we had a scrub tech there, and he, African-American young man, and sharp, sharp, sharp. And I asked him, I said, have you ever thought about going to nursing school and going into nurse anesthesia? And he said to me, you know, y'all don't have very many tans. Mm-hmm. in there and he's a CRNA now yeah 
I can't tell you how many Sierranese of color came up. Some had mentors, but most did not in the profession. And you're right. There's not enough of us. And you can't ask all people of color in the profession to all do this. It's not fair to ask any particular group. I think it's up to all of us. But speaking those words of power, like you should consider this, encouraging people of any background, telling your story telling your story. Like I came up ADN, RN to BSN. I was homeless in my ADN program. I didn't have it well. But me telling that story again, socioeconomically, it cuts across every racial demographic profile. Me telling that story speaks to multiple people from different backgrounds. So when you share your story, you empower somebody to see themselves coming down the road and coming to us. Instead of hiding yeah, your stories. Yeah. Which a lot of us typically do. You want to make people think this is where I'm at, oh, yeah. not this is where I've been. Right. right. They, when exactly. they look at you, they look at where you are now. Right. They don't know. They don't know your story. They don't know your story. Yeah, because I was reading that. I didn't know that about you, Courtney. No, yeah, I, was I, didn't, it the, I didn't know the, that about Yeah, you. I was reading it the other, the other night when you sent this over, and I was like, wow, I, I had no clue. I remember so. when my grandparents got an indoor toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's powerful. <laughs> All that, that I knew how to pee in an outhouse. <laughs> you know? That's diversity, but too. But you know what that does? That gives hope, and it gives inspiration, yeah. and, it, and it also tells something about you as a person through that trial in your life and where you are now. So, And that gives other people, right. hey, you know what? I'm here, but I can be here. Mm-hmm. If, if Courtney Brown can do it, Courtney Vick can do it, I can That's do it. it. You know what I mean? So, Absolutely. So what should be a part of the a national agenda to assist in diversifying our profession? Sure. Well, I, I kind of already mentioned about having a centralized application mm-hmm. service. You know, but one thing is, again, there's not a lot of diverse program faculty. I think having a national mentorship program for people who already admitted that I'm at a school, I can call up a mentor who's right. maybe somebody that this person needs. I actually had a student two years ago who said, and this this was a challenge. She said, do you have a recent Asian female student that I can talk to. Mm -hmm. Now I did, luckily, but what if I didn't? What if I didn't have that person for her to talk to? You know, a lot of people, they, they have things that they want to talk to somebody who came up similar. Yes. Who's been there. And I don't always have that perspective. And I think that would be an important thing to develop. Again, truly developing a more robust system for how we collect this information. Right now, we're using an AANA membership profile survey. Right. We average can be. Right. Small. Every time, if you look at from a statistical perspective, it's probably, it's a self-selected sample who are providing their data and we get different people every year. It is not, why do we not have a census demographic profile of our profession? That doesn't make sense at all. It doesn't make sense. I mean, all they have to do is add demographic profile questions to when you go to renew your membership. The other thing it would help, Sharon, why are we having a trending down? Maybe we are getting diverse people in our profession, but they're no longer members because of other issues. If we don't know who's leaving the profession, what kind of backgrounds they have, how do we know we're shooting in the dark with our initiatives? Somebody has that data, and you know that. <laughs> NBCRNA has right, that but data. Right, not part of us anymore. Um, well, they, they have that data. AANA, the only data we have are 
people who are members. So we exactly. still we are still hobbled. Yes. So this conversation needs to occur. Yes. With the credentialing body because everybody has to have a license. So they're the ones that you need and to we be need having to share this. data. If these <clears throat> things are happening in a vacuum, you can't be strategic. Yeah. I believe wow. you've got a conversation in your future <laughs> coming up. <laughs> Courtney, you got a lot to do. Right. And we just gave you more to do. <laughs> oh, man. My goodness. But you can get there in your brand new Tesla. <laughs> there you go. Tell us about your Tesla. Uh, I finally feel like a cool kid. <laughs> I was going yeah. from homeless to a Tesla. <laughs> my, you are my hero. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's kind of funny, right? Um, well, no, it's it's a great story. Yeah, yeah. It's a great Absolutely. story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> me and my husband decided on a whim to go test drive a Tesla. Now, we didn't know it was the last day, June, the, I think it was June the 30th, to get the actual reimbursement the, um, tax advantage from it. So we went down to Charlotte because we already made an appointment online. And I was going in telling my husband, no, no, no way. I got behind the wheel and I fell in love for the second time in my life. <laughs> so there were no Model 3s, though, in Charlotte. But they right. said there's one more available in Raleigh. But you got to leave right now. you got to put your deposit down. So it's a two and a half hour drive. We just drove Wasn't an hour and a half. pressure there. Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> we had just drove an hour and a half to Charlotte for the test drive. Now we're dr- putting money down on a car, sight unseen, driving all the way to Raleigh. We didn't get home until midnight. But my husband on the way back was like a kid in a candy store. He said, oh my God, the thing's driving itself. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And I do feel like I'm giving back to the environment. Honestly, I love the fact that I can just plug it in. I don't have to hit up the gas station. I don't have to worry about running out of gas. That's nice. I do got to be careful not to run out of battery. There you go. But we we put the bigger charging station in our house, so I'm good. Does it talk to you and tell you when you're going to run out of battery? No, but you see it the whole time. Just like your iPhone. It's literally just like your iPhone looking at it. It has a little top battery thing at the top. Yeah. Fun. Yeah, and I feel so cool. Well, you are cool. <laughs> what color is it? It is black with white leather, vegan leather interior seats. Oh, wow. Vegan leather. Vegan leather. Don't ask me what it's made of. I have no idea, but it sounds cool. Oh, it listen, sounds cool. As you know, I love podcasts. If you ever get an opportunity, listen to Imagine Life. And it tells the story of somebody, and you don't know who it is until the end, unless you figure it out. And a lot of times I figure it out. But there's one of your hero, Elon Musk, and it tells their life. You need to listen to it. He's amazing. I've, I've read a couple things about him. You know, he puts, that's another thing, a good point to make. He puts all of his developed patents, he, he puts them all online and crowdsources them. Yeah. You know, and so just in the talk today, I threw all the materials that we developed in our program, mm-hmm. all the presentations, all the handouts for high school kids. We put them all on a link drive and I gave the QR code to the crowd. You know, because I'm telling everybody, like I said, if if I want, yeah, Yeah. take our stuff, take it and use it. Don't just you do your thing. That's great. Well, that's called giving back. Yeah. Well, Courtney, this has been eye opening and uh, learned some stuff today and it was good. Anything you want to conclude on? No, I mean, the the big take home point is, you know, we didn't get here overnight. But I think it will take all of us really thinking about how can we improve this? How can we work together? I know we have a lot, a lot of people say, well, there's a lot of big battles ahead of us. But, you know, at the end of the day, we have to be unified. And this is one thing that is still dividing us as well. And I think it would improve our profession and help us take care of the patients in our future. Great. 
Well, Sharon, I think that's another wrap. Courtney, we want to thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for Great job me. as usual. <laughs> And uh, I think we got a couple other podcasts in your future when we get back home. We're not going to travel right. to Chicago oh, to do the Lord. next one, though. Okay? I know. Pierce and I had to drive this equipment up here. So. Oh, yeah. man. Next For year, those San who can't Diego. See, it's a lot. Uh, <laughs> well, we had to bring his DJ equipment, too, and yeah. this equipment. Hey I, yeah. d- hey, I did the Cuban shuffle last night. Yes, you did. But. We'll be doing the podcast in Winston-Salem in our studio going forward. Okay. Well, we want to thank our listeners for listening to Beyond the Mask with Jeremy Stanley. Sharon Pierce. If you're a fan, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. Please leave us a review. Make sure it's positive. We want no negative reviews. (laughs) And please share episodes on social media to get the word out. Like what you're hearing? Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere you like to listen to shows. Also, be sure to check out beyondthemaskpodcast.com. Each episode is posted there with a corresponding blog post, and we timestamp important parts of the episode to help you quickly get to the content you're looking for. Also, check out the special series section on the site. You can follow along and catch up on the CRNA History Series, episodes specifically about political conversations in the industry. Or try the CRNA Personal Finance Series. It's all on beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And if you have a question for the show or want to be a guest or even suggest a particular topic, fill out the contact form on the site or send an email directly to us at info at beyondthemaskpodcast.com. And lastly, let's take the conversation social. Check out our Beyond the Mask Podcast Facebook page and Facebook group. Today's show was made possible by the folks at CRNA Financial Planning, an independent consulting firm that offers financial planning services exclusively to CRNAs and their families. From planning for a child's future college expenses to building a predictable income stream in retirement, the firm is committed to offering you comprehensive financial services, customized to fit your unique needs and objectives. If you have questions about your financial future, get them answered. Call the team at 855-304-3748. That's 855-304-3748. Or go online to crnafinancialplanning.com. And thanks for your support of Beyond the Mask. Hi, this is Jackie Rolls, President of the International Federation of Nurse Anesthetists and President and Founder of Our Hearts, Your Hands, a global anesthesia support community that takes donations to allow nurse anesthetists in low and middle income countries to go to educational programs, buy equipment or textbooks. Your donations are tax deductible and we would appreciate your support. OSA EMR is a free anesthesia EMR developed by CRNAs that you can download and use on an iPad. Our nonprofit mission is to make sure that solo and small practice CRNAs can digitally record their anesthetics. To learn more, visit OSAEMR.com to download and consider donating to our cause. Remember, for CRNAs, data is destiny.